Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Thank you, Tori, for leading us, and Pete and Jeannie for leading us. Thank you, Avery, for reading. I want to continue. Uh, well, actually, if you haven't already, I invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Psalm 40. And um, while you're turning there, I just want to continue this posture of worship um, by praying to our Father together. So let's pray. Our Father, Father, in the stillness, you are there. In the quiet, you are there. Father, right now, we we humble ourselves. Father, we, we recognize that you're here, but Lord, where we don't, open our eyes. God, we want to see you. We want to see you. We want to know that you are with us. Holy Spirit, you promise to convict us. You promise to chisel away at the stone of our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that right now. Holy Spirit, come and give us sensitive hearts. Give us hearts to hear you. Give us ears to hear you. Give us eyes to see you. Father, we, re- we know, we know, God, that you are everywhere that we are. Even before we are there, Lord, you are there. You're here right now. Jesus, you are here right now. God, if we, if we go all the way up to the heavens, you are there. If we make our bed in the depths of the earth, you are there. If we, we take up the wings of the dawn, if we live in the remotest parts of the world, of the seas, God, you are there. Even there, your hand will lead us. Your right hand will take hold of us. So, Father, lead us this morning. Put your hand upon us, we pray. God, incline our hearts to your desires and not to selfish gain. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your loss. Unite our hearts to fear your name and satisfy us this morning with your unfailing love. God, let everything else taste be tasteless compared to you. We want you, Lord. And, and Lord, we believe in you, but where we don't believe, God, help us. 
help our unbelief. Give us trust. Give us faith. Give us belief in you, we pray. Be with us, we pray. And we pray all these things in your son's name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Um, happiness is rare. It's, uh, it's uncommon. It's not normal, right? I mean, when was the last time you asked somebody, um, hey, how you doing? Like, like more than just like the greeting, like, you know, there's the greeting, like, hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like you're in a conversation, you're actually talking to the person. You're like, hey, like, how are you doing? And they just responded, man, you know, I'm just, <clears throat> I'm just happy in life. You know, I'm just content. I, I, I feel well rested. I'm at ease in my body and my soul. Some of you are laughing right now because you know how rare that is. That doesn't happen. And if somebody actually did say that to us, right, let's play this illustration out. Somebody gave me that answer. ISM, how are you doing? And they're like, man, I'm just, I'm just overflowing with the love of God. I'm just happy. Nothing can bring me down. If somebody gave me that answer, I would think, and I'm willing to bet that we would think, that their circumstances are easy which is why they're happy. I, I would think if, if you're so happy and you're flourishing right now and you're content, then your circumstances are easier than mine, right? I would think that their circumstances are easier than mine. Oh, you're not tired? You feel well-rested? Oh, well, then you don't have a, a six-week-old daughter, right? <laughs> oh, you're, you're content? You're not wanting more? Oh, well, then you just must not be in a busy season of your job or your life right now. Oh, you're not stressed? You're not stressed? Oh, you, well, then you probably don't have a million things to juggle like I do. Oh, you aren't sad? Oh, well, then you probably aren't experiencing any grief or loss. Which tells me what? That I actually believe, if that's my response, if that's what I think, then that tells me that what I actually believe is that happiness is based on circumstances. If you tell me you're happy, you're content, you're flourishing, I immediately think that your life is easy. And guys, I'm here right now. I'm here to tell you that is not true. Jesus didn't say happy are those who rich and have what they need and have an easy life. Jesus said happy are the poor in Luke 6 and happy are the poor in spirit in Matthew 5. He, Jesus didn't say happy are those who are filled to the brim with stuff and with food and with pleasure. He said what? Happy are those who hunger and thirst, who need more righteousness. He didn't say happy are those without pain. He said what? Happy are those who mourn. They see the world as it is, the wickedness, the brokenness, the, 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 the death, the pain, and they mourn over it. If we think, here's what I'm saying, if we think that happiness is based on our circumstances, then we confuse happiness with ease and happiness with pleasure. Let's think about this for a second. First of all, happiness is not ease. Ease is about a life free from difficulty. Happiness is a, is a, is a state of being in the world despite your difficulty or lack thereof. Ease is about the absence of effort, right? We say like, oh, well, it was just, that was easy. Like I didn't require any effort for me. Happiness is a posture that you have regardless of how much effort you give. Happiness is not ease. Happiness, number two, is also not pleasure. Check this out. Pleasure is about want. Happiness is about the freedom from want. 
Pleasure is about want. I want this thing. I need this thing. Happiness is about the freedom from that. Pleasure is about what feel, feels good in the moment. Happiness is about contentment over the long haul. Pleasure is about the next hit, the, 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 those base animalistic desires of the flesh. Happiness is a sense that my life is rich and my life is satisfying. When we compare other people's circumstances to our own, we make it a competition to see who has the better circumstances in life, then our trust is not in the Lord to bring us happiness. Our trust is in our own circumstances to bring us happiness. And guys, listen, God wants to free you from that. God wants to free you from that. He wants to free you from your happiness, your flourishing, your contentment in life, being connected to your circumstances. Why? God wants to give you himself, himself, the full divine, the being of the Trinity in perfect relationship with one another, life and love overflowing. He wants to give you that. He wants you to be able to thrive regardless of if you're in the deepest valley of the shadow of death, Psalm 23, where you can say, I fear no evil. I'm not afraid at all. God wants you to be able to say with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that God can rescue me from the furnace of the blazing fire, but even if he does not rescue us, we will not bow to another God. God wants you to be able to say with Paul, Christ be highly honored in my body, whether, check this out, whether I live or whether I die. God wants you to be able to say with Paul, I have learned to be happy in whatever circumstances, Philippians 4, that I find myself. I know how to make do with a little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being happy, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. Ephesians 3 says that God wants to fill you with all the fullness of God. And guess what? If you're filled with all the fullness of God, you know what you don't need? Anything else anything else. If you're overflowing with the love of God in your life, you know what you don't need? Literally anything else. If you don't have it, you don't need it. You know what you are? You're happy. You're full. You're flourishing. You're complete. Do you want that? Do you want that in your life? I, I don't, I, I feel like I would be a fool if I said no. Do you want that? Do you, imagine your life being filled with the fullness of God. What would change? If that were true of you, what would change? Hmm? Imagine a people. Imagine all of us here at AGC filled with the fullness of God, overflowing with the love of God, knowing that mercy and goodness follows us every day of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Knowing that, what, imagine a people who learn the secret to contentment as Paul did in Philippians 4. And I know some of you right now are thinking, well, he's not talking about me. He's talking about people who aren't Christians. I'm not, no, that's a lie. I am talking to you. Right now, Christian, friend, member, beloved, AGC, do you want that? If so, how do we get it? Well, here's a, a start. This is a summary of the series that we're in. True flourishing. We're tracing this word happiness, contentment, fullness, flourishing. We're tracing this word throughout the Psalter, and this is our... Our, uh, one, two, three. This is our fourth week in the series. Sorry, I had to count that. This is our fourth week in the series. You want that flourishing? You want that happiness? Do you want that fullness of God? It starts with meditation, Psalm 1. Meditation. 
guys, I, a few years ago when I was in uh, the end of my college, like in early seminary, <clears throat> I just chose Exodus 34, 6 and 7 as a verse to be my verses for like the, that year or like it was like a year and a half or something. And I'm telling you what, that's meditation. When you fill your mind with it, meditation is not emptying your mind. Meditation is filling your mind with the word of the Lord. And I'm telling you what, something changed in me. If you take that verse, the Lord, the Lord is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. If you meditate on that for a year, I promise you, I promise you, your life will change. Don't believe me? Try it yourself. Do you want that contentment, that flourishing, that happiness? It starts with Psalm 1, meditation. Then I looked at Psalm 2. What else, how else do we get this, this happiness? How else do we get this flourishing? It comes from surrender. Guys, there's three postures. There's posture one with your hands closed, both hands closed, gripping on to this life, to this world. And I promise you, if you live for this life, you will lose your life. And then there's posture two, which is hands fully open, both hands fully open in the air, surrendering your life to God. And posture three is, I think, where a lot of us are, where we have one hand open, one hand open and in the air saying, God, this is yours. This part of my life is yours. But we have another hand right by our side with our fist closed saying, you can have everything, God. You can have all of this, but you can't have this. God, you can have my mind, you can have my intellect, you can have my, some of my time, but you can't, have, you can't have all my time. You can't have this little, this little besetting sin. And, and what leads to flourishing? Opening both hands. Letting go. Surrender. Worshiping the Lord with fear and trembling. Paying homage to the Son, Jesus. Taking refuge in him. Last week, Tom talked about confession. You, if we do not confess, we will our, our heart will rot. Our bones will rot inside of us. Confession leads to flourishing. If we don't confess our sin, then, then, then the sin will take root in our hearts and it will sow discords of all kinds. Bitterness. Anger. Judgmentalism. True happiness comes from confession. And here's the running theme of all of these. You know what these all require? Humility. Humility. Meditation. I'm not going to be the one to decide and define good and evil on my own. I'm going to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night and allow him to define good and evil for me. Surrender. I cannot take refuge in myself. I have to humble myself and surrender myself to Jesus. And confession. The pride in our life uh, will not allow us to confess. So we need to humble ourselves in order to confess. And then today we're talking about trust. We're talking about trust, which, by the way, I was looking at this little thing in my hand right here. This is a uh, bookmark. <laughs> uh, if, I don't know if you've ever seen one before, but this is a bookmark. And um, it has all the psalms that we're going to be going over this summer. Um, this is the summer of flourishing, the summer of true flourishing. And this is one uh, a helpful you know, tool for you to have. So that you can, you know, use it and use it in your, um, it can be a reminder to you. That's what I'm looking for. It can be a reminder to you of what true flourishing looks like in the Psalms that we're going over in this series. But two, a more subtle, kind of passive aggressive, but not really, way is this is a reminder for you to actually have a physical Bible. Um, 
I'm just gonna don't kill the messenger. The studies are in. Uh, you retain more, you learn more from an actual physical book as opposed to a digital whatever. And this isn't like just like a Christian was like, hey, I really want to try to sell more Bibles, so I'm going to trick everybody into thinking that they learn more with a real physical Bible. No, this is like brain scientists, like Harvard Business Review. All, everybody's like, yeah, you retain more and you learn more when you actually have a physical book rather than just a screen. So don't think you're the exception to the rule. You're not. Get an actual physical Bible Use this bookmark as a way to, uh, you know, read your actual physical Bible. So there, rant over. Again, don't kill the messenger. Um, I mean, unless you have a an actual photographic memory, you're the exception to the rule. But I don't think anybody in here does, so you're not the exception to the rule. So true flourishing comes from meditation, Psalm 1. It comes from surrender, Psalm 2. It comes from confession, Psalm 32. And today we're going to look at Psalm 40. Where does true flourishing come from? Where does happiness come from? It comes from trust. Look with me at Psalm 40, <clears throat> verse 1. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to read verse 4, and then we're going to go back to verse 1. But verse 4 is where we're going today. We're going to verse 4, and it says this. Verse 4 says this. How happy is anyone who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. Now, before we go back to verse 1, uh, trust is an interesting, trust is a dangerous word. I almost said interesting, but it is interesting, but it's a dangerous word. Why? Because it's one of those words that it assumes, we, we assume knowledge of it, right? It's like the word love or the word God or the word, you know, Messiah or the word uh, faith. Like the, these are really, really like buzzwords, like greatest hits words that we assume knowledge. And whenever we assume knowledge, we actually stop asking questions. We stop trying to learn and we don't think we can learn anything. Like if I assume that I know something about you, I'm not actually going to try to learn more about you, right? Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what faith is, what trust. By the way, I'm going to use faith and trust interchangeably today. There's a little bit of nuance um, between the two, but for the most part, they they overlap. So faith and trust, I'm going to be using those interchangeably. But in order to for us to understand what that is, we have to first know what it's not, okay? And it's not these four things. Faith and trust is, first of all, not just believing things. And this, these are going to be up on the screen. There we go. These are going to be up on the screen. First of all, faith and trust is not just believing things. This one's tempting, right? It's tempting to think that if I understand things cognitively in my mind about Jesus and God, then I have faith. I understand that Jesus, you know, was a real historical person and he died on the cross for my sins and he was raised from the dead. Now I can check the Christian box on a survey. But listen to this. Check this out. If I believe, if I actually believe that faith is just believing things, then my process of faith formation becomes gaining as much information as I can about the Bible and Jesus. And we know that that's not true. Have you met that person who has forgotten more about the Bible than you've ever remembered and they look nothing like Jesus? It's because they think that believing that, that faith is just understanding things in my mind. A little bucket of cold water on our overinflated heads. The demons know more about Jesus and they tremble. Trust and faith cannot be reduced to believing things. I've heard you guys say this to me. I've heard other people say this. Like, how do I get what's in my head to go down to my heart? And that's a fine question. But you know what's behind that? Behind that is this understanding that faith and trust is just believing things. Rather than we're going to get to what faith and trust is. But faith and trust is not just believing things. 
Now, I, I have the word just up there, right? And all of these are going to be just this, just this, just this. Because does faith require that I believe things? Yes. Does trust require that I believe things? Yes, but it cannot be reduced to that. Faith and trust is not just believing things, number one. Number two, faith and trust is not just behaving morally. I remember one time I was in seminary, <clears throat> excuse me, and I was about to, you know, preach as a, as a guest preacher, and the youth pastor was introducing me, and he was like, yeah, this is Parker, he's, um, um, you know, a student at this seminary. And at the time, by the way, I was, at the time I was living in downtown Raleigh with a couple of buddies. And um, this, this youth pastor is like, this is Parker. He's at the seminary, works at this church, blah, blah, blah. And he just has such a strong faith, which I'm going to get to why that's not biblical in a second. That phrase, strong faith, is not biblical in a second. But he just has such a strong faith because he doesn't, you know, he's this young single guy in downtown Raleigh, and he doesn't go around and drink a bunch and have sex with a bunch of people and sow his wild oats. And at first I was like, oh, thank you. Like, that's, you know, nice. But then I was thinking about it later, and I was like, seriously? Is that it? Is that all that's required of having a, quote, strong faith? And what's unfortunate is that this guy isn't alone in thinking that, right? We have reduced faith and trust to just behaving morally. If I do these things and I don't do these things, then I have a, quote, strong faith. And then when somebody does not behave morally, they start, you know, going off the, the deep end, so to speak. We say, oh, well, they must, they must not have a strong faith. Behaving morally is a result of our faith and trust, but it cannot be reduced to the entirety of our faith and trust. That's why faith and trust is not just behaving morally. So number one, faith and trust is not just believing things. Number two, it's not just behaving morally. Number three, it's not just a feeling, right? This one's good. Faith and trust is not just a feeling. You know why some people go back to church every Sunday morning? Because they get that feeling of God. They get that camp high, that emotional experience that they have to, they have to keep going back week after week to get a little bit more inspiration, to get a little bit more of a TED Talk application to my life. And I'm telling you right now, if you're here for church, if you're here at church because of that, then your faith is only based on a feeling. It's like charging your iPhone once a week. You don't do it, right? Now, faith brings about feelings, right? You should have feelings in your faith. And if you don't, that's also not faith and trust. But faith cannot be reduced to just a feeling. If it is, then we are just trying to manufacture an experience for you to feel something. Faith is not just this feeling that you have, because then also it becomes subjective. If faith is just a feeling that you have, then it's just your feeling that you have. And if your feeling that you have gets up and uh, like uh, it comes up against another person's feeling that they have, and the two contradict each other, well, then whose feeling wins, right? That's not faith and trust. Faith and trust is not just believing things. It's not just behaving morally. It's not just a feeling. Finally, faith and trust is not just being religious. Here's a popular lie. People who are religious have faith. People who are not religious don't have faith, right? Oh, well, I go to church or I go to a church. Oh, that, that person's a person of faith. Meaning if you don't go to church, you're not a person of faith. That's a lie. Here's the truth. Everybody has faith. Everybody trusts in something. Everybody orients their lives around something they believe in. It's just the water we're swimming in. We can't get away from it. To say that a person doesn't have faith is to say that a fish swimming in water isn't wet. We all rely on something. We all have faith in something. Here's a quote from um, uh, a guy I like named James Smith. He says this, and this will be on, on the screen. Yep. The question 
isn't whether you're going to believe, but who. It's not merely about what to believe, but who to entrust yourself to. Do you really want to trust yourself? Do we really think humanity is our best bet? Do we really think that we are the answer to our problems, we who've generated all of them? Uh, 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 faith is not faith and trust is not just being religious. Everybody trusts something. Everybody has faith. So if that's what trust and faith is not, then what is trust? What is faith? Well, first of all, faith and trust is a response. It's a response. Look at Psalm 40 with me again. Psalm 40 verse 1 says this, I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and he heard my cry for help. <laughs> Do any of you guys like waiting? Do you guys like waiting for things? <laughs> like for me to start talking again? <laughs> uh, do, what about waiting patiently? Hmm? What about waiting patiently? I waited patiently for the Lord. You know what the Hebrew is behind that? It's literally the verb twice. It's repeated. It's I waited, waited for the Lord. Waiting, I waited for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord and he did what? He turned to me, which implies what? If, if God, if the Lord turns to you, it implies that he was at one point turned away from you. Do any of you guys feel like God has turned away from you? Do any of you guys feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing back down? You are not alone. The psalm, David, this, uh, this psalm is attributed to David. David felt that way, right? And, and, and then you're not alone. What does Yahweh always do? What does the Lord always do? He will turn to you and hear your cry for help. Do you feel like you can't hold it together anymore? I, I, I know you guys. Right? I know you, and I know some of your stories right now. And for some of you, you guys feel like you can't get life, you can't get your feet under you, constantly gasping for air. Another diagnosis, another setback, another broken relationship, another week with no real relational intimacy with another person, and your throat is tired. Guys, I want to tell you this right now God hears you. God hears you. He turns to you and is looking at you and will always hear you. But you know what you have to do for God to hear you? You have to cry out. You have to cry for help. He heard my cry. Are you crying out to the Lord for help? When you're waiting patiently for the Lord, waiting for him to move in your life, waiting for him to act in your life, is he going to turn to you and is he going to hear your cry for help? Well, what do you have to do? You have to cry out for help. You have to respond. What else does he do? Verse two, he brings me up. He brought me up from a desolate pit, from the watery depths, from the pit of destruction. Some of you are there right now. And God has not yet brought you up from the desolate pit, but he will out of the muddy clay. And he set my feet on a rock, making my steps secured. You know what this is? You know what this is? This is salvation. This is deliverance. 
And I'm not talking about a salvation that just takes effect after you die so that you can magically somehow depart and go to some yellow place. I'm talking about salvation right here, right now. Just like it was real salvation for David when he was in the desolate pit, it is real salvation and deliverance for us right now. And what happens when the Lord saves the psalmist, saves saves David? Look at what he says. Verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth. That's a response. A response to God's salvation. He put a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear. They will trust in the Lord. How happy is anyone who has put his trust in the Lord? Do you see the two types of people that trust the Lord? First of all, what is their trust? It's a response to the salvation and the deliverance of God. But look at the first type of people. Look look at, again, middle of verse 3, end of verse 3. Many will see and fear and they will trust in the Lord. Okay, so many are going to, they're going to do what? They're going to see. Well, what are they going to see? Well, they're seeing the salvation of the Lord for this person in the desolate pit, right? They see the Lord's deliverance for the person who's in the miry, uh, miry clay. They see it as if from afar, right? Like you see a person and they're in the pit. Their life is not going how it is. They're crying out to God. They're waiting patiently for the Lord. And then many are going to see the Lord take that person out of the miry clay, set their feet on the rock. They're going to see it and they're going to say, I want that. I want to worship and respond and put my trust in the God who saved that person. Guys, there is power in testimony. If we don't share testimonies with us about uh, with others about how God has delivered us from the miry clay and set our feet upon the rock, then we are robbing people of the opportunity to trust in God. When we hold back from sharing the Lord's deliverance in our lives, we're robbing our family to see the deliverance of the Lord, to see the salvation of the Lord, and respond to him in trust. There is power in, the, in your testimony. There's power in the person right next to you's testimony. And then look at the next group of people. So first group of people are the people on the outside. They're watching it right? Many see, they fear, and then they respond in trust. But look at the next group of people. Verse four, how happy is anybody who has put his trust in the Lord? Anybody. The person in the pit, the person outside of the pit looking on, trust is a response to God's deliverance and salvation. Whether you're looking at it from afar or you are the one in the desolate pit in the miry clay and God brings you out and delivers you and saves you. The person who puts their trust in the Lord is happy. Why? Because the Lord is faithful. Guys, some of you need to hear that again. God is faithful. He will do it again. What is trust? It's a response to the deliverance and salvation of the Lord in and through Jesus Christ, his son on the cross. God is faithful. Right now, some of you are, are in verse one. I'm waiting for the Lord. And he hasn't even turned to you or heard your cry yet. You're just, you're in the first half of verse one. Some of you have remembered, you're recounting a time when you were in the desolate pit, but you waited for the Lord and he did bring you out. Some of you are, are, are looking on other people saying, man, the, the Lord has delivered them from darkness into light, made them whole. I want to put my trust in that. What is trust? It's a response to the salvation of God. Now, does this say anything about the strength of your trust? Does this say anything about strong faith? Earlier I said that the phrase strong faith isn't biblical and here's Here's why. Does it say anything about the strength of your response? No, it doesn't. Why? What does it focus on? It focuses on the object of your trust. Because check this out. If I question the strength of my faith, 
Like, oh man, I just, I need to have strong faith and do I not have strong enough faith and all this stuff? Then what is my faith and trust really in? Myself. It's in, my, my faith and trust is in the strength of my faith and trust. If I question the energy that I put forth to trust in God, thinking that that will be enough, then what is my trust really in? It's in myself. There's this illustration that I think sums it up perfectly, which uh, D.A. Carson uh, origin, originally said this illustration in a sermon, and I'm going to actually steal it pretty much word for word, so you can't, uh, I'm saying that so that you can't ac- accuse me of, of plagiarism. But uh, imagine with me two Jews living in Egypt and um, uh, enslaved in Egypt at the time of Moses and the Ten Plagues, right? And one, let's just say one's named Benjamin and one's named uh, Zechariah. Nine of the ten plagues have happened, and it's the night of the Passover meal, and the angel of death is about to come through the camp. And um, Benjamin turns to Zechariah, and he says, man, I, whew, I'm a little nervous about tonight, man. Like, we've had nine of these crazy signs and wonders from God, and this one is talking about the angel of death. It's talking about killing the firstborn son. Like, aren't you, Zechariah, aren't you a little, a little nervous? And Zechariah is like, no, I'm not nervous. We have heard from the Lord God Almighty through his servant Moses. And, and I've, I've done everything that I need to do, right? I killed this, I killed the uh, Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb. I dipped the, the, the branch in the blood and I put the blood on my doorposts. I packed my bags. I'm ready to go. We're about to eat the Passover meal. Like, didn't you do that, Benjamin? It didn't, didn't you already do that? Benjamin goes, yeah, I, I, of course I did that. Like, I'm, I'm not stupid. I, I did that. I, I slaughtered the lamb. My family, as we packed all our bags, I put the, my branch in the blood, and I put the blood on the doorposts. And Moses said that it's going to, the angel of death will pass over if you have the blood on your doorpost. And I did all that, but still, like, aren't you just like a little bit, like, scared? I mean, I only have one son. <laughs> You've got three sons, right? Like, if I, if, if it doesn't work... I lose my only son. And Zechariah goes, I am not nervous at all. I trust in the power and the word of the Lord Almighty. That night, the angel of death passes through the camp. Which one of their sons died? Neither. Why? Because they were not delivered from death based on the intensity or the clarity of their faith exercised. They were delivered from death based only on the blood of the lamb. They responded to the word of God by putting their trust in the blood of the lamb. They were delivered. They were rescued. They were saved from death and from slavery. Guys, what is your trust in? Is your trust in the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world or is your trust in yourself? Is it in your knowledge of the Bible? Is it in your attendance of church? Is it in your Christian maturity where you don't feel like you need anybody else's help because you're the expert of your own faith and people should actually be coming to you for help? Is it your faith in your money? Is your trust in your well-behaved family? Is your trust in your parenting strategies? Guys, I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. What is your trust in? 
Is it in the strength of your own trust or is it in the blood of the lamb? Have you responded in trust to God's deliverance through his son Jesus on the cross? Trust is a response. Trust is the object. What what is the object of your trust? What are you putting your trust in? First, trust is a response. Then second, trust is a relationship. Look again at the personal language in these verses. Look again with me at verse one. I waited patiently for the Lord. And then it switches to he. And he turned to me. And he heard my cry for help. And he brought me up from the desolate pit. And he took me out of the muddy clay. And he set my feet on the rock. And he made my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth. He put a hymn of praise to God in her mouth. Many and see when f- will, will see and fear and they will trust the Lord. How happy is anybody who has put his trust in the Lord. This deliverance and this salvation is not some from, from some just like absent guy in the sky. This is from a person. Guys, trust is in a person. It's a relationship. It's not some ethereal thing that you just like think about sometimes. You are walking with a person. Think about, think about Genesis 1, right? It said, that, it said that Adam and Eve heard the sound of God walking in the garden. You know, when you, can, you, you know what it takes to hear the sound of somebody walking? It takes walking with them a lot, right? Eventually, you walk, you're with somebody so much and you like hear their footsteps coming and you know exactly who it is. That means that you've walked with them for so long. That means that you know them. You are in a relationship with them. Guys, Jesus doesn't save you just from bad things to good things. Jesus saves you to himself. You were dead and now you are alive in him. Trust is not a one-time decision either, right? It's not even just a decision. It's a friendship. It's a relationship. And think about verse verse uh, one. He heard my cry for help. Think about this. If you were to hear a random person's cry for help, on the side of the road. I, well, I hope that you would stop and you would, you would help them. Right. But, but it would be different. That person's cry for help, whom you don't know, would be different than somebody who you, your best friend, your spouse, your child, your parent, their cry for help would be different. Why? Because you know the sound of their voice. You know, the, you can hear and feel the fear when they cry out for help. Guys, trust is walking with Jesus. Trust is knowing him so much that when you cry to him for help, he hears you. You're not just some random voice in God's ears. You are his child. Look at how he has saved us. Look at how he has saved you. Faith and trust is a response to God's deliverance, and it is primarily a relationship. Now, the million-dollar question. What happens when it seems that God doesn't hear your cry? What happens when it seems that God doesn't take you up from the pit and set your feet on the rock? Or at least he hasn't yet. What happens then? Earlier I said there was... power and testimony and I I uh, I don't share about this often I I sometimes you know I think I've shared about my dad one other time but I sometimes feel weird doing it I get in my head and so I I just ask for your grace in, in this but um, there was a time in my life where I was crying out 
And it seemed that God was not listening. It seemed that God did not hear my cry. My dad was a, a youth pastor for his entire adult life. And when I was 16, he got diagnosed with ALS. And um, when I was 17, he, he passed away. And they asked him to preach. The church that we were at asked him to preach one final sermon. And the sermon that he decided to preach on was titled, Who Do You Trust? And I, um, I'm i not good with my words about this topic. There's probably some, something there. But I, I just want to read his w- words from his sermon. Because this is a man... who didn't get his prayer answered with how he wanted, but never, ever lost his trust. And this is what he said in his last sermon. So who do you trust in everyday life? Who have you placed your faith in? Yourself? That is man's ways that lead to destruction. Following your own way does not lead to hope, glory, peace, or joy? Or have you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? Friends, this is the hope that we have. You might not understand what I'm saying, and that's why we have the Bible and the church. Our Savior is Jesus Christ, and we rest in him. I have been diagnosed with ALS, and there is no cure for it. Ultimately, it will take my life. People will say, that's not fair. They don't understand God. To be honest, fairness is overrated. I am finite. God is infinite. I cannot pretend to understand why. Do I struggle with it? Listen to this. Listen to this. Do I struggle with it? Oh, yeah. Every day. Every few minutes. Do I get discouraged? Of course. Do I question why? Absolutely. Do I fear death? No. No way. Bring it on, he says. Here is the reason I don't fear death. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. God has called me to walk this road, and I know that I am not alone. I have family, I have friends, I have you, but more importantly, I have my Savior. My shorter road with Christ is infinitely greater than a longer road without him. This is a man dying not getting the answer from God that he probably wanted, which is God, heal my body, but getting the answer that he needed, which is Jesus saying, I am with you. I am with you in the valley of the shadow of death. I am with you in the desolate pit. I am with you in the muddy clay. Guys, who is your trust in? Is it in your circumstances? If God said no to everything that you long for and you desire right now, would you still have your trust in him? And so the next, so so how do we get this? I've asked myself this question a thousand times. How do I get a trust like my dad? How do I get a trust like my dad? and, And I think that's the wrong question. The question is, how can I not trust in Jesus who gave himself for me? And so here are three simple steps. Three simple steps. First is practice gratitude. You want to grow in your trust? Do you want to be able to trust God even when it seems like he doesn't turn to you for help and he doesn't hear your cry? 
practice gratitude. It's a lot harder to not trust God when you look at all the ways that he has blessed you and he has heard you and he has heard your cry and turned to you for help. Second is ask God for trust. Ask God for trust. Just a few weeks ago, I was with my spiritual director and he said, when was the last time you asked God for trust? Trust is a gift. Faith is a gift. Ask God for it. And finally, sometimes, guys, we just have to step out and trust. Do you want to have this flourishing life where you could be? Do you want to be able to say, God, I want, to be high, I want you to be highly honored in my body whether I live or whether I die. Do you want to be able to say all those things with Paul? Do you want to be able to say, like my dad said, I'm dying, but it doesn't matter. I don't fear death. Do you want that true flourishing, that true happiness? It comes from stepping out in trust. Guys, right now, you can't see, some of you can't see the next step in front of you. You can't see the end. It's dark, it's foggy, you're disoriented. But I am, I am encouraging you, put one foot in front of the other. Take a step. How can I trust God today? How can I trust God this afternoon? How can I trust God with my finances? How can I trust God with my life? When we practice gratitude, when we ask God for trust and we step out in trust, that's what leads to true flourishing. And I mean, we've said this before. G- Jesus was, is the perfect embodiment of true flourishing. And what did he do? He trusted completely the Father's will for his life. He trusted completely the Father's will for his life. What did he say in the garden? God, if you can, take this cup from me, but not what I will, but your will be done in my life. We see this in the cross. We see this in the Lord's Supper. We see this when we take the bread and the cup every single week. And so what I'm going to do now is I just want to, I want to pray that we, we would live into the trust of Jesus that he had for the Father, that we would trust Jesus with our lives. So I want to pray for that. And then when I'm done praying, we're going to, we're going to reenact the Last Supper together as disciples, remembering that what Jesus has given us is himself. He's given us everything we need. And guys, God might not answer your question with what you want, but he will always give you what you need, always. I know that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If we don't have it, we don't need it. Do you trust that? Do you trust God? Father, give us your trust, we pray. Give us your faith. God, allow us to live in the faithfulness of your son, Jesus. Jesus, I pray that we would trust you. I pray that we would be like the man of Mark 9 who said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, there are so many things that we don't trust you for. So, Father, bring to mind just simple, tangible ways that we can, we can just say, God, I'm releasing this to you. I'm trusting you with this. Bring to mind ways that you've been faithful to us before. We can practice gratitude. And we can trust you more now. Bring to mind ways that we can ask you for more trust. Bring to mind areas that we can just step out and trust. So that we can say with you, Father, not my will, but your will be done. We pray all these things in your son's name. By the power of the spirit. Amen. 
Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com, or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Thank you.